I'm reflecting back to uh, times in my life. Coming on Wednesday nights um, from the beginning of my walk to the present, how Wednesday nights just get you past. Amen. You've worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, getting a boost from, of, of truth from the word will put you over. Amen. Amen. So you can finish Thursday and Friday really strong. As I said, uh, Pastor Earl, our senior pastor, is uh, in Virginia at East Coast Camp. He's ministering over 550 youth and leaders tonight. And so I got that text just about an hour or two ago. And so uh, keep them in, their, in your prayers, amen, for all the speakers. Our worship team is doing the worship. So uh, Pastor Marcus, the whole, most, a lot of the crew went up with him. And so they need strength. They need quicken. If you've ever uh, been to a youth camp involved in that chaperone, that you know what goes on with sleep. You become sleep deprived, right? Uh, so lift them up. We want them to finish strong. They have uh, about a day and a half left at that camp. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a checkup from the neck up. Amen. Hallelujah. A saying that you may be familiar with. <laughs> uh, but just an evaluation, you know, examination is a good thing. It lets you know uh, where you're at and where you could be. And so even as David said in Psalms 26, he said, examine me, O Lord, or, or check, check up on me. Am I, am I being pleasing? Am I doing things that are honoring you? Is my life worthy uh, for the sacrifice uh, that you poured out for me? You know, God wants to see progress in our walk. And if you've been with Anchor Faith Church for any period of time, you understand that thank God for the plan of redemption. Thank God for the new birth. And thank God for heaven. But you know, uh, God has a plan for us on earth. And he wants to see us progress in that. And so we need to make sure we're evaluating our lives, examining our lives, and really taking a check up from the neck up. All right? So we're going to really uh, launch out of Ephesians tonight. Great book. Really defines the church. Talks about God as the master planner. Talks about Jesus as the one that paid the price. And talks about the Holy Spirit who is our protector. Uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians are really doctrinal or instructional. Uh, the last four, or the last three, four, five, and six really deal with practical application because God has a plan for us. And so he wants us to be able to apply truth. So the first three chapters, he lays out what the church is. Uh, defines where we're seated, talks about positional authority. Really, the overlaying, uh, the overlaying theme in uh, Ephesians is uh, oneness or together or unity. And if we're going to do what God calls us to do, it's really important that we are unified and that we are one, that we are together. And listen, this just isn't your personal opinion. This just isn't good advice. It's really godly counsel or truth that helps us to unite. Uh, so it's, it's not just my own opinion. How do we come into unity? It's really through truth. Uh, not may, some, all of us have had, a, or most of us had church experience in the past. Some has been good. Maybe some has been bad. Some things we may have been taught have been wrong doctrinally. And if we're going to unite and be in unity, it's important for us to really do what Paul told Timothy, you know, study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So... In order to rightly divide the word of tr uh, tr uh, truth, we need to study the word of God. And so I'm going to jump over in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse number uh, 10. I'm going to read through verse number 17. I'll read this from two different translations as we launch out tonight to talk about a checkup from the neck up. 
Hallelujah. So I was reading Judges recently, and just to preface it, preface it this, um, in Judges, it's amazing because God always brings you out to bring you in. And so we see the children of Israel, this promise that God has given to them, really from Genesis chapter 12, when we're introduced to Abraham, the father of faith. And he tells him, listen, I'm going to go ahead and take your descendants to land, and it's going to be a good land. We find out later that this is a land flowing with milk and honey, which is symbolic of the sweet life. In John chapter 10, verse number 10, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. I like the New Living Translation. It says uh, God, he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. So he said, listen, I know where you're at right now, Abraham, but your seed is going to get into Canaan land, which is the land where I want you to be. So God always takes you out to bring you in. God never takes you out just to leave you. And I believe there's a, you know, he brings them out of Egypt. They go through the wilderness to get to Canaan land. Touch your neighbor and say, don't live in the wilderness. Touch the one on the other side and say, don't live in the wilderness. Listen, Egypt is a land of not enough. Wilderness is a land of just enough. Canaan land is a land of more than enough. Egypt is a land of not enough. You don't have enough resources to give. You don't have enough godly friendships to get, uh, to continue to progress. The wilderness is just enough. I have just enough to get by. But Canaan land represents a full life that's overflowing. You realize God doesn't want to just bless you just so you have stuff. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you shall be a blessing. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't, if you're not experiencing you realize this, there's a positional truth in the word, but then there's also a vital truth. And Ephesians 1 talks about this. Positionally, we're seated with Christ where? In heavenly places. But are we vitally living that out? Let me give you an example. In marriage, there's a positional truth between a husband and a wife. But is there vitality in that covenant? Or are we just two singles living together? Hallelujah. If you can't say amen, say oh me. So there's a positional truth. God wants to elevate you. Romans 1.17 says we're to go from faith to faith. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, it says we're to go from glory to glory. We serve a good God who wants to do great things through his great people. And he said in Deuteronomy, we'll be the head and not the tail. We bless coming in and going out. We'll be above and not beneath, right? So we not only positionally, but vitally, we got to live this thing out. And how do we do it? By faith. And really, Abraham really launches us out. He's the father of faith. And we can see a progression. I'm glad that they're at East Coast Camp this week because we want to see a progress. Listen, it's not just good enough for you to live this out and experience the sweet life. You want to, you want to elevate. I really believe a leader elevates their life and the life of everybody around them. Listen, people should miss you when you leave. Husbands, if your wife's glad that you left the house to go to work, that's a problem. <laughs> she ought to miss you, right, and vice versa. Your presence in church, because of your prayers, your ability to serve, your ability to give, hallelujah. We should miss you if you're not around. 
So Abraham's the father of faith, but we see a progress from generation to generation. I'm glad the word's being delivered in Virginia tonight to those teens, because even in Acts 13, it says that David, after he served his generation, we want to give our generation truth uh, that they can live out and pass on. And so we see Abraham, the father of faith, he passes something on to Isaac. Through Isaac, we learn the life of submission, and we see progress. Isaac passes off to Jacob. Through Jacob, we see a life of transformation. Jacob means con artist or trickster. But when he got in prayer with God, God said, you're no longer going to be called that. I'm going to transform you. And how many of you know that truth will transform? Sermons don't set you free. Truth sets you free. It's you taking this word tonight and actually saying, Father, let me take a checkup from the neck up and apply the word of God. Truth is like soap. It only works when you apply it. All right? So you could be around truth, hear truth, gain a lot of information, but really knowledge means I know and I'm intimate with the truth and I'm living it out. And the only way you're going to elevate your life in Christ is if you literally live out the truth that you're learning. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm going to walk in truth. So we go to Joseph after that because you know what? There should be a perpetual progress, not just with our life, but we live it so good that we can see it affect generations to come. We see Joseph, and really Joseph is an example of suffering and glory. Touch your neighbor and say, don't lose your dreams. God-given dreams and God-favored men makes a God-blessed world. And Joseph had a dream from God, but it took 13 years from the time he got the dream to the fulfillment of the dream. And really, that was just the commencement when he started ruling in Egypt, right? But listen, 13 years, he had to hold on through suffering, wrong accusations, probably the temptation to quit. How many of you have been tempted to quit before? Hallelujah. Right? But he had to hold on to that dream. And he goes from suffering, he goes to glory. If you just hold on, Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Why would the Holy Ghost, through through inspiration, tell Paul to say that? Because there's the ability to grow weary in doing well. He said, don't grow weary in well-doing, for you shall reap in due season if you faint not. Man, if you give up the day before the blessing hits, that's a sad state to live in, right? The Bible says, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith, for he that promised is faithful. So we have a part to do in holding fast the confession of our faith. Sometimes that's the greatest exercise of faith you can do is just speaking in the midst of any difficult circumstance. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, we have in the same spirit of faith. We believe, therefore we speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So in those moments when your feelings are contrary to what the word of God says, that's when you, when you press in to the high calling and you make declarations. And let your confession become a praise. Isaiah 61 says, put on a spirit of praise for any garment of heaviness. Hallelujah. So we go from Joseph to Moses. Moses, Moses teaches us how to worship God. Hallelujah. Then we go to Joshua. Joshua actually takes the children of Israel from where they are to where God wants them to be. We see Joshua actually go in to possess the land. And thank God for King David. He teaches us how to reign in the land. But when I was reading in Judges, I thought, Lord, this is interesting. Because in Judges, they're where you want them to be at, yet they're not successful. There's this recurring uh, statement in Judges. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
eyes. So you see where unity comes in. It's not me doing what I think is right. It's me lining up with the word of God. If we're going to unify, we need to make sure we're living this out. So every man did what was right in his own eyes. God raises up about 15. Now, it's interesting. I was reading this. I thought, for all the modern-day philosophy, you know, don't judge anyone at any time for anything. You wrote a book about judges, God. <laughs> I just find that ironic. <clears throat> Not just some of the modern thoughts, you know, where don't judge. Now, listen, I do want to say this. I'm not talking about being critical or condemning. So hear my heart, okay? Uh, but if I, if I see somebody heading that's, or living a life that they say they're a believer and it's contrary to the word, Proverbs says the wounds of a friend are faithful. Now, Pastor Brian and I, we roomed together at Rama, And um, I was dating my wife. I thought she wasn't in here, but there, so she knows where I'm going. She's back there. Glory to God. <laughs> and we got in this habit during our courting and dating where after church or during various times, we start taking naps together, right? And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because you can end up on top of one another before long. If you're not attracted to your future spouse, there's a problem. See <laughs> law. But Pastor Brian comes up to me and he said, listen, these naps don't look good. And that felt like a, oh. But you know what? I had to say, you know what? Why are you judging me, man? No, I didn't tell him that. <laughs> I'm in right standing with godly. No, I didn't say that. I had to take a check up from the neck up and say, you know what? You're right. So we were able to keep pure in our marriage because a friend came to me and communicated truth in love with me. And he was right. I was wrong. I had to repent. Say, so you're right. I made, we made the adjustment. And so God raises up judges. Why? Because the children of Israel cry and out for deliverance. Why? Because they let the culture around them influence and really infect uh, the way they thought. So we jump over to Ephesians chapter 6 tonight because we're taking a checkup from the neck up. And I really want to specifically talk about your thought life. I'm going to read this from two different translations. First one's the New King James verse. It says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's also read this from the Amplified. It says this in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. You should just get encouragement from that. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. 
be strong in the Lord. God doesn't want you living a weak, half-hearted life. He wants to gird you with strength every day. I like what the Amplified says after this. this. It says, draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him. And in the power of his boundless might. Listen, his power can't be bound. They tried to crucify Jesus Christ. Uh, They killed him, but they couldn't bind him in the grave. The third day he was raised again. He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You can't kill truth. You can't put uh, truth in chains. Truth will always resurrect any situation. Put on the full armor of God, for his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and strategies and the deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. As much as you think you're fighting flesh and blood, the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. Now listen, I'm going to pause right there. I want to read you a verse and we'll pick it back up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse number, let me get there. Verse number three, for though we walk in the flesh, remember that your struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood or against physical opponents only. Now listen to what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What's a carnal person do? You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You cuss me out, I'm going to cuss you back. You do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek, right? Because our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our our weapons are not carnal. That's what a carnal... And listen, there there can be carnal Christians. That means your flesh rule. That your emotions, you you really react to what's going on around you. You don't respond to the spirit. A situation hits and you react to the situation. That's carnality. Really, response is what does the word of God say? And that's how I'm going to respond. I'll give you an example. Now I'm only telling things that make me look good. <laughs> because there's, I could tell you things where I failed too, but thank God we're growing and learning, right? I remember one time my wife was going to a particular gym and there happened to be another man there uh, that uh, really was flirtatious. And uh, so, you know, we talk, reliable communication permits progress. And so we have great communication. 
Uh, we have heaven on earth. How many of you know that marriage could be the closest thing to heaven or hell you'll have on the planet? I choose to do heaven because who wants to live in hell, right? <clears throat> so anyways, uh, she was keeping me appraised of the situation, but one day he crossed the line and he went over and her tag was sticking out of her shirt, so he took his finger, put the tag back in the shirt, right? So you either react, I'm not battling against flesh and blood, right? So I find out where this guy worked at. And actually, once again, the wounds of a friend or faith will actually, uh, Pastor Brian met me in the parking lot of where he was employed at, and I said, listen, he's, he, Pastor Brian's funny, he said, I got a gun. <laughs> he did. But I, I said, listen, I just want to, I'm going in, I'm going in, <laughs> going into his employment. And... Um, <laughs> But I just, was, for accountability, I said, you know, I felt cool, collected, uh, prayed up, ready to do this in love, right? And so I just, as an accountability, because what? Um, you know, the Bible says, are you your brother's keeper? Yes. Or we should be, right? So I just want to make sure I'm handling this correctly. I let it go, let it go. But when you put your hands on my wife, I'm not letting that go, right? So I went to him. It was complete in love. It was great. I, was, I, was, uh, I had a, what Galatians 5 says, self-control. I went up to him. I said, um, uh, you know, my wife goes to the gym. You know, I identified who she was. I said, yeah, I really feel like you uh, crossed the line when you did that. And uh, listen, we're happily married. I said, do you go to church anywhere? Because you really need church. And if you don't, you need a church that's really preaching the truth. Um, but it was good, you know. And, and actually, after that, I, I left. You know, I shook his hand and um, I had no issues after that. Matter of fact, he stayed clear of her after that. <laughs> like, she's like, what'd you say? No. Because <laughs> every time he'd see her, he'd sort of turn and walk the opposite way. But so I didn't react to the situation. I responded to the word of God. Amen. The leading of the Holy Ghost. Because listen, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I could have got carnal and say, let's go out back. But that's not God's will. But listen to what it says. But, but our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Take a check up from the neck up, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is why you need to read the Bible so you know what the Word of God says. Because you know what? All of us meditate. The question is, are you meditating on the right thing? All of us are constantly thinking about things. It'd be interesting right now just to start pulling up what's going on in people's brains and putting it on the screen. <laughs> Because some of us are constantly worrying. Uh, we could be thinking about finances. We could be thinking about the overwhelming amount of tasks. But the Bible says to cast all your cares upon him. The Bible says in Proverbs, he gives his beloved sleep. So you realize when you're stressed out, when you're anxious, that's why Philippians 4.8 says, uh, be anxious, Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known. You know, the Bible says that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Even when you're sleeping at night, he could be working things out. 
And really, a step of faith is, God, I give that to you before I'm going to bed. I cast it on to you. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be concerned. I believe that you're working for my greatest and highest benefit. So I'm not going to worry about it. I remember listening to a story for, uh, about Kenneth Hagin, and it's on Casting Your Cares on the Lord. I can't, it's a three-part series. You could probably find it on YouTube. Great series. But he said he was walking onto the porch with his wife and their little kid, and um, she just knew he didn't worry, and they were having an intense time of fellowship. <laughs> and she said, I, I just don't believe you'd care if me and the, and the kid just dropped over and died. Right? I don't think you worry. He said, well, certainly not. Why would I worry then? <laughs> he said, you'd be with Jesus in heaven. <laughs> he said, it didn't sit real well at the time. <laughs> he, but she, he said he heard her later on talking to another minister's wife about casting your cares unto the Lord. So carnal thinking is just, man, I'm thinking about everything that's going on instead of running to the word. All right? Let's read on. It says, uh, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I like this because those things that have been plaguing you, disturbing you, disturbing you, tormenting you. In verse number six, it says, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Those thoughts that have been punishing you, you can actually start punishing those thoughts when you're obedient to the word. Is that all you got, devil? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to have a good faith laugh, right? James 1 says, count it all joy when you go through various trials and temptations, knowing uh, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, let's go back over to Ephesians chapter 6 and finish this up. We paused right at. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, continually physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly uh, supernatural places. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you'll be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger and having done everything that the crisis demands to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground. Stand firm and hold your ground. Having tightened the, the band of truth around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and up heart right, having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. And we, we need to understand that there is a thief out there, or John 10, 10, the same verse that says he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly, also says this, the thief came, what, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's progressive in its approach. 
steal, identity, kill initiative, and destroy a life. He says, we're not ignorant of the wiles of the devil. Now listen, wiles means this, W-I-L-E-S. This is how the devil works. It means he works by methods. He really has an orderly, uh, technical procedure to how he attacks believers. So he has a method behind it. And there's some things I want to give you how the devil works. Number one, he'll, he'll try to divide. Right. Yeah. Ephesians tries, the book really is a book about togetherness and oneness or unity. He tries to divide a marriage covenant. He tries to divide a church body. He tries to divide your thoughts from what the word says. He also deceives, which is interesting because God's always talking about receiving but deceiving is really taking what's rightfully yours by getting your eyes fixed upon the wrong things. <clears throat> Even in Hebrews 11, it says that Moses uh, rejected the pleasures that were in Egypt. And it says they were just for a season. All sin promises to serve and please, but it only enslaves and dominates. It's deceptive in its nature. It says, oh, that's going to feel good, or do this, or spin that. But it's not really trying to please. It's really trying to enslave and dominate your life. So the devil, he divides. He deceives. He tries to bring anxiety and, stri and really strife to people's lives. Listen, one of his greatest tools is a thing called offense. Uh, maybe we need a big shirt instead of having an S. It has a big O on it for offense proof. That's the real Superman, right? Because offense is like kryptonite to Superman. It'll make you weak. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says that we're not ignorant of his devices, and really it was in direct correlation to him bringing offense within the church. In Ephesians 4, it says, be angry, but don't sin. Isn't God awesome? He realized you're going to have times in your life where something happens <clears throat> that the emotions of anger will try to manifest. But then he says, don't sin. What's that mean? Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's been times I've kept it shut. There's been times I said something, right? As we grow in the Lord, though, we learn the love of God constrains me. I'm not going to respond or react by emotion. I'm going to respond to the word of God. I'm going to take a checkup from the neck up and realize, listen, I'm not going to live in carnality. I'm not going to war in carnality. I'm going to cast down that thought. It says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get this. Get this. Listen. Say, I'm listening. If you un unchecked, or unresolved unforgiveness will eventually lead to bitterness. And bitterness is like poison. Matter of fact, over in Hebrews, it says any root of bitterness springing up defiles, makes dirty, contaminates, pollutes many. 
So you need to make sure that daily, let things go. Drop it. The word uh, forgive means to drop it, release it, let it go. You're not going to have a strong walk of faith without a strong love walk. And you're not going to have a strong love walk because Galatians says that faith works by love. And if you're not forgiving, guess what? You're not manifesting or walking in the love of God. Your faith is going to be hindered. You're going to be frustrated in your prayers when you're not walking in love. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they wronged me. You don't know how they spoke to me. Listen, all of us had a past, right? Thank God for what Jesus did for us. I'm not saying what their, act, their actions are right. They could be wrong and evil against you. But still, in the midst of that, think about Joseph. He had to trust in God. He would have never got to where God wanted him to be, the sweet life, if he didn't exercise forgiveness. So we got to let things go daily, and it's by faith. Your mind may be fighting you, but this is one of the times when you have faith confession. Father, I let it go. And listen, when, they, when that person or that circumstance comes back up, let me give you a little bit of uh, ammo, spiritual ammo. Pray for them. Matthew 5 says, pray for those that persecute you, uh, that do you wrong, that are trying to have ill will against you. Pray for them. Pray for uh, workers or laborers to be sent across their path uh, that they'd come out of darkness and into light. Keep your spiritual attitude and your heart right. You're not going to be like the sons of thunder and say, Lord, I command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. No. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Bless them. Pray for them. You want them to come out of darkness and into light. Listen, another method of the devil is he's an accuser. He's an accuser. Revelation says he's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to try to bring up past mistakes, past uh, things that you may have done wrong. But Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So you need to know what voice is talking in your head, right? How do I know that? Well, have I rep- if I've blown it somewhere, have I repented for it? If so, the, uh, Psalms 103 says that he's removed that transgression or that sin as far as the east is from the west. So if it's coming back up, guess what? I reject that thought. That's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So that's, that's not it. You're trying to accuse me. And I can't have strong faith, faith if my heart's condemning me. And I've already made it right, right with God Almighty. I've already made it right with that person. I've already forgiven myself. So no accusation is going to stop me. Because I'm in right standing because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing he'll try to do is he'll try to tempt you. He will try to tempt you, try to seduce you with, it could be lust, it could be power, it could be money. So we got to be aware of this. There's, thank God for technology, but you realize access to all kind of evil and, and wickedness is more available than ever in our society. Parents, please monitor what your kids are watching. Just don't give them your phone unchecked or unfiltered. Please, please, please. So he gives us six 
things, which is called the armor of God to put on. Truth. He said our loins are girt about with truth. He said to put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, that our feet are sh uh, shod with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. He also said he gives us a shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. He said to clothe yourself with this. So we all get dressed every day, right? Glory to God. You better. Don't answer that, right? But it's the same thing spiritually. You need to get clothed in these six things every day. If you want to be strong, if you want to possess the land and the life uh, that God has given you, it's important that you put on truth. It's important that you put on righteousness. It's important you put on peace. It's important that you put on the shield of faith. It's important that you put on the helmet of salvation, which we'll talk about in just a second. And it's important that you put on the sword of the spirit. Some are offensive weapons. Some are defensive weapons. The helmet of salvation is really a defensive weapon where if thoughts are coming against you, what do you do? Well, the Bible clearly communicates. Listen, just because you're born again doesn't mean that your thinking's automatically renewed. I'm going to give you a few scriptures. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23. Let me read it to you. It says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? He makes a line of demarcation between the spirit, the soul, and the body. We're talking about the helmet of salvation. Over in James chapter 1, verse number 21, the word says this. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness, receive with meekness or humility, the implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. You know, Paul is writing this letter to a church, people that are born again. He said, but receive with meekness the word of God that's able to save your soul. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So listen, your soul is different than your spirit. Jesus did what you cannot do for your spirit. And that's give you a brand new spirit. When you call the name of Jesus, it says, behold, all things are made new. Uh, the old is left, the new has come. We are new, now a new creation in him. That's talking about spiritually. When I came to the altar, <clears throat> I wasn't bald. But if I was, and I shaved my head by choice. Okay, I'm laughing really hard on the inside on that one, but <laughs> but if if I if I gave my life to the Lord and I was bald before I did, I'm still going to be bald after I did it. Nothing's changed on the outside. Same with my thinking. Just because I came down to the altar and gave my life to the Lord, guess what? It's not like all my thoughts are automatically set on God. The thing that changes at the altar is the spirit man. 
That's why Paul, or I'm sorry, James, not Paul, James writing this letter to the church uh, says, receive with meekness uh, the implanted word which is able to save your, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. We're to put on the helmet of salvation every day. Now, our mind is what we think, our will is what we choose, and our emotions are what we feel. So the, the word of God can change our mind, our will, and our emotions. But we need to put on this helmet of salvation every day. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. So listen, say the responsibility is on me when it comes to my body and my soul. So spiritually, Jesus paid the price. We're saved not by works, but by his grace. But the responsibility on our bodies and our soul is on us. Romans chapter 12, verse number one says, I beseech you, which means I beg you. I'm pleading with you, therefore, this is Paul writing to the church, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Not unreasonable, but it's reasonable. One, one translation says it's your spiritual worship or spiritual act of worship to present your body. And listen to what the second verse says. And don't be conformed to this world. One translation says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? Maybe you haven't got connected with it all the way yet because you're not renewing your mind to truth. Maybe you haven't got connected with the will of God because you're not renewing your mind to truth. Maybe you're doing things that are right in your own eyes, like in Judges, but they're not lining up with what God wants you to be thinking about. He wants you to eat the best and live the best and influence the most. But we need to renew our minds and present our bodies in order to line up with his will. Now go over to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. The word says, if then you were raised with Christ. How many of you are raised with Christ? How many of you are raised with Christ? Hallelujah. Seek those things which are where? Above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Listen to verse 2. Set. You notice this is an automatic. This is your responsibility. Have you ever set a thermostat before? Right? You put it on 70. Because what? that's the position uh, that you want the climate to be. And that's the same way we need to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, this isn't you getting rid of your daily responsibilities. Honey, this is like me telling Angie, I'm going to go pray for 16 hours. Go to bed. I'm going to do that Monday through Friday. I'll see you on Saturday. 
because I'm going to seek. No, because Ephesians, even Ephesians chapter five talks about the duties of the husband and the duties of the wife. That would be called neglect and not lining up with the word of God. Well, I'm just going to go pray in the spirit for 15 hours a day and the Lord will provide. No, you need to go get a job. Right? If the Bible says if a man don't work, he don't eat. So we have to take everything in context. So set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So what's it saying, though, is listen, I got a heavenly vision, a heavenly purpose, a heavenly destiny. I'm walking that out on the earth. There's a daily uh, download from heaven. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So there's, there's a constant communion. Even when I'm at work or I'm at home being a husband, uh, being a father, if I'm out in public being an ambassador, guess what? I'm still setting my mind. I'm still getting downloads from heaven on how to walk, how to talk, how to think. He said, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Now, this is our responsibility, church. Verse number five says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. These are the things we're to put to death, fornication, uncleanness, uh, passion or wrong passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Say, sanctify my speech, Lord. Do not, listen, lie to one another. Hallelujah. I don't care, I don't care if the world's telling you lying's acceptable to get a promotion. The word says, do not lie. I'd rather forfeit the promotion and please God. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and now I put on the new man, listen, who's renewed in what knowledge? Take a check up from the neck up. You need to be reading the word of God and thinking about the word of God. We're to be renewed in knowledge according uh, to the image of him who created him. So listen, we need to be thinking the right thoughts. We need to be thinking the right thoughts. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13 says this, therefore, talking about the helmet of salvation, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your what? Mind. This is your responsibility. Don't let the devil just constantly throw thoughts at you. Anxieties. This could happen. That could happen. Doubt. Discouragement. Even, even the thing called hope. Don't let them take hope away from you. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love remain. 
Hope means I can get through this. Hope means confident expectation for favorable change. When you lose hope, you really lose your life. You get desperate, even start thinking suicidal thoughts if you lose a thing called hope. And God wants you to have a thing called hope because he said these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. It can get better. Listen, the sun's always shining above the clouds. I don't care how dark or, or gloomy the day looks, the sun, the S-O-N, the Son of God is always shining above the clouds. So we need to make sure we're setting our mind on hope, setting our mind on the Word of God, setting our mind on love. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to be sober. This is why you don't need to be influenced or intoxicated by a fake thing. You realize alcohol will start to play with your mind. It'll start to kill. It actually kills your brain cells, messes with your kidneys, right? The Bible says to be sober. So physically sober, but mentally sober too. Just don't let any old thoughts come in and influence you or try to seduce you. You need to put on that helmet of salvation. It says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. This reminds me of when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. The, the word says, listen, set a boundary around that whole mountain so that nothing gets through it. If anything gets through it, kill it. And really, my takeaway from that, that literally happened, my takeaway, though, is of the, around your mind. If anything that's not the Word of God tries to get through it, tries to penetrate it, kill it. Take dominion. The Bible says that God called us to reign in life as kings. Just don't be the devil's whoop, uh, whooping boy, you know, where he's just beating you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say something. Speak the word. Stand up like a man or a woman of God and say, no, 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 I'm not taking hold of that thought. I'm not letting that thought penetrate my mind. I will overcome. I can do all things through Christ. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave himself for me. As I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add all things to me. I'm going to have patience in this situation. I'm going to, I want more, but guess what? I'm also content with where I'm at on the way to where I'm going. God, you do have a destiny and plan and a purpose for me. God, you haven't forgot about me. Don't you think King David felt in obscurity when he was uh, tending his father's sheep? But the Bible says your gift will make room before you and bring you before great men. Just keep on being faithful. In the kingdom of God, the, the reward of the faithful is more trust. God says when you show yourself faithful, I'll give you greater levels of responsibility. I'll promote you. And the good thing, when God promotes you, he keeps you. When you promote yourself, you got to keep yourself. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the west or from the east. It comes from God. So I'm not going to try to affirm myself or try to promote myself. I want God to position me. So God has not forgot about you.
The best is yet to come. The Bible says your latter days will be better than your former days. Keep, keep the faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Jude, there's only one chapter, 20, uh, verse 20 says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is another way. I'm just going to start praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't know what to pray, but I know when I pray in the Spirit, in other tongues, and I'm praying out the perfect will of God. So, Father, I'm just going to take this 15, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. They used to say, pray through till you get a breakthrough. How do I know I got a breakthrough? Because that situation that was agitating me, I now have peace about. Amen. You pray through till you can raise your hands and say, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you're for me. I thank you that you just gave me the answer. I don't know what it is, but I have peace. I have resolve that you're working the situation out. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 says this. Not only is this helmet of salvation, the word salvation is awesome because it talks about uh, preservation. You know, God wants to preserve your brain your mind, your will, your emotions. It talks about deliverance, uh, those tormenting thoughts, uh, those things that are trying to get a vice grip around your mind. Uh, when you're saved, you're delivered from that. You don't have to think like that no more. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I like it because it also says health. What a confession. I have a sound, healthy mind. I was sharing with my wife the other day, uh, there's been seasons in my life where I haven't been in the Word as much, and more chaos and more confusion happens in my mind. But those times when I'm in the Word of God, it's like my thinking is clearer, I'm sharper, I'm quicker, I'm smarter, my intellect is like at a whole nother ability. I feel like Daniel, except I like what Kenneth Hagin said, instead of being 10 times smarter, I'm 100 times smarter. Why? Because the Word of God even increases my mentality. Listen, this is not a facade or a fake story. This is truth, church. When Angie and I used to work at the group home, we watched over uh, six to eight boys. They called them emotionally handicapped. But really, they were normal. They just came through from broken uh, backgrounds, dysfunctional families, a lot of emotional turmoil and hurt and damage. One of the boys that we had, though, uh, was from a mom who did crack while he was in the womb. And like all his neurons weren't firing all the way completely. But we, they allowed us, we had favor to bring him to church. And I tell you, even, even the, the, the psychologist they had at that place says it seems like his mentality has increased. Because the word of God will affect you in every way, spirit, soul, and body. He said, with long life, I satisfy you and show you my salvation. I want to close with this in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. You know, there's more uh, to maintaining than there is to obtaining. <laughs> when I used to sell, uh, think about this. This is funny, too. I'm laughing hard on the inside. I used to sell cars as a Christian. Hallelujah. 
That's a miracle, right? Treated people the right way, did the right thing. Hallelujah. I was going somewhere with that. And by the grace of God, it was going to be really good. Yes, thank you, Lord. So they had this car. It just came out. It was the Nissan 350Z. It had been gone for, I think, decades. You know, they used to make the Nissan. I think it was a, was a 300 or something like that, the, their little sports car, right? Um, but they brought it back out. So all the, all the, 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 uh, the enthusiasts, you know, with all the horsepower and, <clears throat> you know, want to race this thing, they wanted to buy it. But what there's more to uh, maintaining than is to obtaining. The reason I tell you this story is because the rear tires were larger than the front tires for more traction. They were bigger on the back than they were the front. So you couldn't just do like your average car. You could buy it, but guess what? The maintenance cost you more because the tires wouldn't last as long. I've heard this too with top-end cars like Mercedes and different stuff is the oil changes are even more than just your normal cars, right? But why do I say that? Because the principle is this, is God wants you to bring you in the land, and he's done that through Jesus Christ, but for you to continue to walk in and manifest his presence, his glory, his goodness in your daily life, it's really a daily maintenance of putting on these six armors, right? So Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, gives us a key of success to this helmet of salvation. And it says in verse number eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you, everybody say me. me. It doesn't say God is going to do this for you. It says you shall meditate in it day and night. The reason we don't have more a lot of times is because we settle for less. God has given us the key to success, but he said, you need to meditate in the word day and night. That you may observe, listen, not only are you thinking about it day and night, but the reason you're thinking about it so that you actually do what is written. You know, it's only those that do the word that is blessed. Then he goes, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. It is God's will for you to live an abundant, satisfied, overflowing life. But it takes you every day putting on that helmet of salvation and saying, I have healthy thoughts. My mind is preserved. I'm meditating on the word today. What's the word meditate? It means to think repetitively, to ponder, to imagine, even to mutter, to speak to say the word over and over again. Instead of talking about the situation constantly, start talking about the word says about your situation constantly. Think on the word. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the word tonight.